0: climaxes, it climaxes with this declaration, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have a God who is with us and will not forsake us. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning, overviewing specifically 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. But as you know, we can't just take these verses out of context. It's very important for us to look at them in their broader context. Oftentimes, and some of what we're going to discuss this morning is what we might call countercultural. Some of what we will discuss today is exactly opposite the way that our culture has taught us and our culture has led us to believe. Um, there are certain things that have to do with roles. There are certain things that have to do with actions and how we handle these things. And sometimes these are misunderstood doctrines because they are lifted out of context. And so, as we launch into understanding these, it is very important for us to put them back into context and to look at it a little bit broader. So, we're looking specifically at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, but let's expand that a little bit more and look and begin by looking at 1 Peter. Oh, I am still undecided as to where to start. So we're going to start back at chapter 1. We just have to. <laughs> um, there's a lot of places we could start, but let's, let's look after, after that Peter has established who we are and our privilege in Christ. He then goes on and he transitions in chapter 1, verse 13. And I want to start there because it is the basis that will help us in dealing with chapter 3. In chapter 3, we're going to deal with wives. We're going to deal with husbands we're going to deal with relationships not just of wives and husbands but of all all relationships and as i said they're countercultural and so we're going to have to do what first peter chapter 1 and verse 13 tells us to do wherefore peter under the inspiration of the holy spirit writes gird up the loins of your mind get your mind ready to work This isn't the time to take a nap, I'm sorry. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation the way you live. "'Because it is written, "'Be ye holy, for I am holy. "'And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons "'judgeth according to every man's work, "'pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. "'For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed "'with corruptible things as silver and gold,' from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all grass, for all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man, as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, The stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye may show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, As strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, "'Leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. "'Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. "'Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. "'When he suffered, he threatened not, "'but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. "'Who, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, "'that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is, in the sight of God, of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better... If the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing then for evil-doing. Dear Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for inspiring the Apostle Peter in penning these words, for preserving them throughout the ages so that we can have them today. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to gird up the loins of our minds, help us to understand what you have inspired and given to us here in this passage. Lord, we acknowledge that what you have revealed here is in some and many ways an opposition to our way of thinking in our modern culture. And so I pray that as we approach this, that we would have ready minds to seek to know what you have actually said. Lord, I pray that distractions or misinterpretations or extreme applications that have been made from this passage, that perhaps we have heard or even experienced, that you would renew our minds this morning that you would take those ideas that are false and those applications that are wrong and take them from our minds. Let them not this morning be a distraction from what you have revealed as truth. Lord, I am just a, a man, and I have feeble words. So as I seek to explain your word, May I not be in the way. But may your words flow free this morning. May it be clear. And I ask, dear Spirit of God, that you this morning would teach us all what is your perfect will and what you have revealed in this text. And not only what you have revealed and to understand it, but dear Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and convict us that we might apply it and obey it. May we truly, as is admonished in this passage, sanctify you in our hearts. May we this morning set you apart in our hearts, apart from our way of thinking, our backgrounds, our experiences, and Lord Jesus, teach us this morning. May we humble ourselves under your mighty hand this day. And Lord, in our lives, may you fill us, may you use us. May we, by the way that we live, be a witness to all those who see us, hear us, know us. We commit ourselves now to you, and we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3 really is split into three parts. Admonitions given specifically to wives, instructions given to husbands, and then finally, instructions given to all. Verses 1 through 6 is for the wives, verse 7 for the husbands, and verses 8 through 12 for all not just husbands and wives but in all relationships but this morning i'd like to take a special emphasis in looking at all three of these parts in the context of the marriage relationship indeed verses 8 through 12 is for all you see that right at the beginning of the of the introduction to the section be ye all of one mind, and then going on and giving instructions. But it is very fascinating to me to look at this specifically as husbands and wives in light of the instructions given to wives and the instructions given to husbands. As we'll discover, and as I've made the comment before, the instructions given here to wives and, may I add, the instructions given to husbands are countercultural. What does that mean? That means that they are opposite what our modern culture teaches us. They are opposed to it. Or might I say, our modern culture generally is opposed to the truth that is revealed in these passages. And in fact, if we even look at verses 8 through 12, there are things in there that are throughout the ages exactly opposite of how human beings have functioned and worked and so it's important for us as we start into this passage to recognize and acknowledge that fact because no matter what our background no matter what our perspective or convictions that we currently hold regarding the instructions in these passages each one of us to one degree or another have been influenced by our modern society That's why it's important that we recognize where our modern society is and that we recognize what the scriptures say. Furthermore, what complicates some of this is that preachers, both in modern times and throughout history, have incorrectly interpreted some of what we read here or, as is more often the case, inappropriately or in an extreme way applied it. That is, bringing it to a practical application in people's lives. And having this in our background as a church, when we come to this, we have to be careful. Because in some cases, we have seen abuses or misinterpretations or misapplications or extreme or downright evil interpretations of this And we are tempted to say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. And in fact, that is a very common problem in many parts of the Christian world. Or it is understood, I'll just be candid, and paralleled to extreme, godless, and may I say evil traditions such as the Muslims have in how women are treated. And some have tried to parallel that what is taking place and being described here is in some way the same as what we see in the evil traditions of Islam. We can't make that connection. We have to be aware of these different sides, and we have to be careful that we do not let our modern society, our culture, our background, our experiences, or our perceptions of other Christians or other cultures, and allow them to taint what God has actually said. Does that make sense? It's very important that we let God speak for himself of what he has said and what he has not said. And so, what has God said? Likewise, that's an interesting word. Because it occurs in verse 1 and it occurs in verse 7. What it means is that it's tied to something that comes before. What we find is that we are in the midst of the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, dealing with the subject of submission in general and specifically. Looking back in chapter 2 and verse 13, we have the command that believers submit to human government, as is described here in detail gone into. Verse 18, servants are admonished to submit to their masters. Our economy and the situation modernly is a little different than when Peter wrote, but a parallel would be employees and employers a relationship, and the need for there to be submission. It's interesting because in these situations, in the middle here, all of a sudden, it seems as if the Holy Spirit, through Peter, anticipates objections. And one of the objections is, well, what if they're cruel? What if they're mean? What if they're not kind? What if they're not believers? And he deals with that, and he actually goes into, you might say, a very important sub Subnote, but really not. It's prominent. As he goes and he deals with here in chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, of calling our attention back to Christ. And so as we launch into chapter 3 and we deal with somewhat maybe hard truths, we must remember that our focus and our gaze needs to be upon our Lord and Savior, what he has done in the past, and the very last verse of chapter 2, where he is today. For we, or may I put we there, were as sheep going astray, going our own way, doing our own thing, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Yes, he suffered, he died, he was buried, he rose again, actually for us. But he rose from the dead. And now he is your shepherd, my shepherd. He is our bishop. He's the one who oversees us in our lives. It's a sense of authority. And so he now, after dealing with submission to human government... Submission to masters, employers, you might say, and reminding us to consider the suffering of Christ as we may find ourselves suffering, to recognize that we keep our focus on him and that we commit ourselves to him, not in, not in fear of man, for he is our shepherd, the one who will feed us, take care of us, guide us, protect us. He's our overseer, watching over us, directing us, guiding us. And so it is in this context that he then addresses wives. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. There is the simple instruction: be in subjection to your own husbands. What is subjection? We've discussed this in the past, and in fact, um, I r- resisting. I don't know quite how and if I should go back and re-preach sermons I've already preached on this topic when we went through Ephesians. We did a six-part series on love and submission from Ephesians, which, by the way, is available at our church's website where you can listen to that series, where we went into a lot of detail into what this is about and what is submission. In basic statement, it is one positioning themselves Under another in role of function. It is not inferiority. In fact, in our house, my wife is far superior than I am. Far smarter, more beautiful, everything like the best. And I know that because we're celebrating 13 years of marriage tomorrow, and in every way she surpasses me. But she submits herself to me Not because I am superior, but simply because this is an order, an organizational structure that God has given here described. It's a word that in Greek was most commonly used of military ranks. And we've talked about this also in the past. Soldiers are all human beings. They're all created in the image of God. Thereby, they're all of equal value. There is equality. There is equality between the private and the five-star general. Now, some of you with military backgrounds will say, "Uh uh-uh. But yes, there is. Looking at it from the biggest of big pictures, there is equality. They are equal, for they are created in the image of God. Same is true between men and women between husbands and wives. Submission has no inference or reference to superiority or inferiority or equality or anything relating to that type of thing. It is simply a matter of order, structure. And so wives, too, here now, are given this instruction just as servants and just as citizens, as citizens submit to magistrates and governors and kings, as servants submit to masters, or employees submit to employers, so wife submits to her husband. Let me bring your attention to one little word there in that instruction that's sometimes missed. It's the word spelled own, own husband. Some have tried to take this and bring application. This is false. I, I sometimes despise communicating falsehoods, but sometimes we have to identify them to be able to know that they're false. It is false. It is false to say that this teaches that all women are in subjection to all men. Or that men are rule over women. That's not what's described here. This is a structure that is within an individual marriage, a marriage between one man and one woman under God. It is a submission to her own husband, not just every man who thinks he can boss women around. Important distinction to make. And now Peter goes into dealing with this in a more complex way. Why? Because from the beginning there is a risk associated with this. Now, it doesn't deny the truth of the instruction or the importance of the instruction. But there is a risk. That is that Husbands are sinners. That husbands can be stupid. That husbands can be hard-headed. That husbands can be mean or even evil. Oftentimes, So many times I've seen in families where a wife will believe the gospel before her husband. And she finds herself in a difficult position. That's not anything new. Peter knew that when he penned this epistle. And that is why he then gives an encouragement to wives. They're in a difficult spot, and he's acknowledging it. Those wives especially who are married to unbelievers, described here as husbands who do not obey the word. This is the word, by the way, referred to back in 1 Peter chapter 1 and um, verse 25 where it says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you the salvation and hope that's in Christ, and it's there available to those who will obey. But we also know that there are many who are disobedient in this very same word, who is Christ. They stumble over and brings about great calamity. And so Peter here acknowledges that there are husbands who obey not the word. But then he goes on to say that these husbands who obey not the word may, without the word, preach to them, be one. That's another way of saying be saved. Be won over to the truth by the conversation of the wives. Here, conversation is not because she sends and the lectures them every night. Conversation here is the aspect of everything that she says and does in word and deed. And here, he's noting that in wives who refuse the order or structure, he's inferring here that that's not a good way of winning your husband. For your husband who doesn't obey the word to be won over, it's, it's by a conversation, your conversation, the way that you talk, both in word and deeds. How? How? Verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Well, what you see here is that here, husbands, we act like we don't know. But we know a lot of things about ourselves and about our wives and a lot of truths, even though we totally ignore it and deny it. We know when we see someone who is doing right. We know when we're doing wrong, for the most part. Yes, consciences are seared, and there's a sensitivity that goes down on that, but it's generally still there. But what's being described here is is that when a wife lives her life, here says, chase, this is a purity. This is a holiness, again, tied back in with chapter 1, verse 16, 15, 16, but as he which hath called you is holy, that is God, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. What he's saying here is that these husbands, they're going to take note that you are holy in all manner of conversation, in the way that you live your life, and they're going to note that this holy life is coupled with fear. Now, it is very important for us to understand what's being described here. First of all, to whom is this fear? Or what is this fear over? Well, can I be, put it in this context? As we consider the context of this, looking back to verse 17 of the previous chapter, all of us are commanded to fear God. And so this fear, and as it continues on, we find out, has to do with fearing God. That's first foundational. But then, if we were to compare Scripture with Scripture over in Ephesians There we're given the admonition, all of us, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submission is always built upon the foundation of fearing God. If there is not a fear of God, it won't work. It has to be based upon a fear of God. In fact, in Bible Hour this morning, we read a section in one of Isaiah's sermons where the command was given to Ahaz to specifically fear God. In fact, it's even later here in this passage, if we're here in Ephesians, or not Ephesians, but 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, we... Continue on down here, and it says in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer, an apology, apologetics, to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness, that is gentle strength, and fear. Again, this is a fear of God. Now, see there, the sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and have this fear? Uh, This morning in Bible Hour, we were looking at Isaiah's sermon from chapter eight through 12. And there, Isaiah told the nation of Israel in chapter eight, verse 13, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. You say, whoa, that's God? Yes, that's God. You see, that's why the question is asked here, Again, in 1 Peter chapter 3, as it continues on and wraps up this section, the question is asked, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Well, when we have a proper view of God in knowing and living our lives wholly, righteously, doing that which is right before God first and foremost, knowing that he is the great judge of all the earth, Then, again back in Isaiah chapter 8, where it says, let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Look what it says. And he shall be for a sanctuary and for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, who are doing wickedly, for again and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's a trouble to others, but to those of us who believe it's not a rock of offense, but it's a sure foundation it's a sanctuary it's a hope and so this fear in 1st peter chapter 3 and verse 2 is the husband beholding in his wife that she has a fear of god as she is living a holy life her submission, her reverence, or fear of her husband is very small when compared to her fear of God. He goes on to deal with how the wife adorns herself. And we're going to have to come back to this at another time because it needs more discussion, but, um, and we will. It deals with how she adorns herself, which is actually quite an important issue, especially for the wife who is married to an unbelieving husband and is seeking to submit to him, but yet also is in the fear of God. Here, the basis of it in the spiritual principle is that the adorning is not just about what you look like on the outside, but what you look like on the inside. And here again, this is an issue not so much as relating to the husband, but as relating to God. For you see there at the end of verse 4 when it speaks of the inside, the hidden man of the heart, which you are on the inside, this is an ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. You see, the perspective here of the wife is first and foremost to her God, and it's trusting in Him. That's illustrated for us again in verse 5, as an illustration is given to wives. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, note this little phrase, who trusted in God. The one who really has a fear of God will trust in Him. Here, it's going to describe that Such holy women, there's that word holy again, that's the same as chaste conversation, they trusted in God, they adorned themselves with this meek and quiet spirit, the inside. They prepared what was on the inside, the focus was on the inside, not the outside. They adorned themselves, and they too, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So he's going to cite an illustration from history. And he says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now you might say, wait a minute, here it talks about her having fear and now it's saying not to be afraid. Well, that's exactly the truth here. When we have a proper fear of God, then when others cause us to be afraid, including your husband's, you do not need to be afraid with any amazement. Like, this. this amazement is that it's so bad you can't believe it. It's a terror and a dread. It is it's, it's just unbelievable. And we don't need to be afraid. Here the wives' are, instruction is given when there's that proper fear of God. And the admonition is given here of submission and doing well. Do that which is well. That's what the priority is. In the submission, it still has to be within the fear of God and it still has to be while trusting in God and it still has to be in that which is well. And Sarah is presented here as an illustration, here it says that she called him Lord. You might wonder, she did? When did she do that? Well, it's interesting because when she called him Lord, it had nothing to do with submission. It actually was in a context in which the angel had come as well as... I believe the pre Christ was one of those three men that came that day, told Abraham, you're going to have a son, and your son is going to be through Sarah, your wife. And she made a comment of, how could I and my Lord have a baby? I'm too old. And so she referenced her husband as my Lord. Now, sometimes people turn this into a joke, and if wives want to turn it into a joke, that's fine, but husbands don't turn it into a joke. It's not our place to be going around um, asking for such a title because it's a problematic title. Because sometimes lording, the submission issue, in contrast, is not about lording. And sometimes we get big heads if we're called lords, we start lording. No. She called him Lord. Now, you will read in commentaries and in different places where people will look through the life of Abraham and they will try to identify places where... Sarah submitted to her husband. Um, Just this week, I actually referenced the commentary. It wasn't actually a commentary. Um, It was a a book on marriage. And um, it wasn't even written by all that conservative of people, but they cited as an illustration that um, one way that Sarah submitted to her husband is when they came up with the idea to lie to the king of Egypt that when sarah submitted to her that she was setting this example i submit to you that's not what this is talking about because submission is always in a positive sense first and foremost to the fear of god and what abraham and sarah did in that occasion with the king of egypt in their deception that caused a whole lot of trouble was not in the fear of god and was not doing well and is not an illustration of what this is praising. So what is this praising? Well, it doesn't say. There is the basic first answer. But if we were to go back and we were to look at Abraham and Sarah's relationship, there are some situations where it's like, aha, this might be it. Like this one. God comes to Abram and says, Abram, take your wife Sarah, the things that you have, pack up, and I'm going to show you a land. Now imagine you're Abram, that husband, and you come to your wife and you say, Honey, God has called us to leave our families, our house, our kindred, and go to a land we've never seen that he's promised to us. Let's go. Do you think it was hard for Sarah to submit to that. I submit to you that it was very hard. And I submit to you that that is a possible reference of what is being described here when Sarah obeyed Abraham. And in that day when he was able to say to her, God has called us to leave it all and follow him to a land we have not seen, She obeyed him, calling him Lord. Really, in an ultimate sense, and Ephesians speaks of submitting in the Lord is what exactly she was doing. There was an illustration of submission. Submission is an important issue. And it's different in every single different relationship, and it will manifest itself in different relationships because husbands have different personalities. Wives have different personalities. The order, though, needs to be there. There are some women who are ultra-organized and structured, and they have everything, and and the husband is happy to let her make lots of plans, and that's good. There are other situations where both are super-hyper-organized, and they all got the great plans, and sometimes they don't always mesh. In that kind of situation, there may be some more need for the urgency of this application of this group scripture and truth. There may be other situations in which um, a husband is actually a failure of a leader. He denies his responsibility, refuses it. In that case, it's a difficult matter as she has to show him respect and yet continue on. There are so many situations here in which the application of this is applied that is very difficult. And let me give you a warning. Focus on it between you and your wife. You may help others' couples, but never meddle with other couples as they are working this matter out. They may work it out a little bit differently than you may work it out and sometimes not always maybe even actually most of the time but not always it still is right and biblical so it's very important your focus as wives needs to be with your own husband and husbands in the connection with your wife be careful you can provide counsel and be involved but there's oftentimes and especially in this case where your counsel ought to be as suggestions because In other places, it speaks of submitting yourselves. It's a voluntary action of the wife, not a compulsory one that's from the outside. Ephesians is very clear on that. It's the wife who is voluntarily placing herself under the authority of her husband, not the authority being forced down upon her. And so be careful in that. And so now we come to verse 7, and we're all out of time. But I have to at least summarize Likewise, oh, isn't that interesting? Likewise, that's an important word here because what it means is that everything that's just come before influences what is about to be said. He speaks to husbands. Husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life That your prayers be not hindered. Oh, there is an awful lot packed in to that verse. Just in summary, we'll pick it up next time. Likewise, ye husbands, do well with them according to knowledge. Newsflash this is countercultural. That's countercultural. That is not the way that our society treats relationships. Our society excuses men, saying, oh, women, they're too hard to understand. You can't really know the mind of a woman. You can't think the way she thinks. And just to note, some of that is true. You can't think the way that she thinks. But you've been commanded, husbands, to know her, understand her, which means that you can. Ah, and by the way, her, not them. Your job isn't to understand every woman in the world, or even every woman in your life. Your job is to understand and to know your wife. Now, why do I say this is countercultural? Well, I've got a great book up here. It's titled, Everything Men Know About Women. Let's see here. The author's name is spelled K N O T T, not, and last name is M U T C H. Oh, the author's name is not much. Everything Men Know About Women. You know what it is? It's a gag book because it's entirely blank. There's another edition of it. <laughs> oh, it's entirely blank too. I, I think these are funny. One of my siblings, I'll leave him nameless, picked up one of these one time at a, at a, at a, a tourist trap up in Canada once, and um, thought it was the funniest, funniest thing. He wasn't married either, by the way, at the time. Um, and in some ways, we all laughed at it, didn't we? It is funny, okay? It is funny. Because it is kind of true. But it better not stay this way if you're a married man. You hear me? It better not stay an empty book. I had somebody tell me I ought to give these as wedding presents. thought about it wedding presents, not to give the husband some excuse of, oh, honey, you're too hard to understand. Men can't understand women. Men can't know women. We don't know anything about women, so just deal with me. Just obey me. No. No, 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 no. The reason I would give it is that I'd tell the husband, start filling it up. Start writing your own book on your own wife because God says, ye husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge. And can I tell you, if you are dwelling with them according to knowledge, and if you are giving honor unto your wife, isn't that interesting? Oftentimes you hear great big long sermons preached to women about honoring their husbands. And they don't even seem to footnote that the same command is given to men of their husbands. You know how... how I don't want to say easy, but how more appealing it would be to, for a wife to submit to her husband when as he is leading the family, lives with her, understanding her, knowing her needs, knowing her opinions, knowing her thoughts, valuing her, knows even those things that you don't even know, but yet you know them you would never be able to put them on paper, but yet you know them? Know your wives. Submission becomes a lot smaller of an issue when husbands know their wives and dwell with them according to knowledge that is understanding them and giving them honor. Recognizing here that they are weaker vessels, do not let anyone ever twist this for you, weaker vessel point. Some have used this to say that, oh, they're weaker vessels in mind. Oh, blasphemy. They're not weaker vessels in mind. It's point blank describing that the, normally women are not as strong as men physically. Vessels throughout the Bible speaks of the physical body. And there is an honor that needs to be given here as they are weaker than us. Oh, you know what's fascinating about that? That means that anyone who would dare to use this whole submission topic to oppress or to abuse his wife is not giving honor to her as a weaker vessel. It's blasphemy to say such things. That is not true. It's it's the opposite. The entire teaching of submission of the wives and of the relationship and the headship, which is Ephesians' word for it, is about the head being in touch with the body they're one they're one flesh and and the head doesn't i mean how many of us abuse our bodies how many of us abuse our hands how many of us take a hammer and start pounding on our hands or punching ourselves it's ludicrous ludicrous insane furthermore in paralleling the picture of christ in the church and marriage relationship it's even a bigger deal a bigger deal And it's a blasphemous idea to somehow think that this whole topic in some ways allows for or perpetrates abuse. It's blasphemous because the husband's the one who is giving of himself, the one who is dying for his wife, doing what is absolutely best, living with her according to knowledge and honoring her. We gotta come back to verse seven because husbands, we need a whole lot more preaching but let me just summarize verses 8 through 12. Finally, husbands, wives, servants, citizens, brethren, be all of one mind. Ooh, doesn't that change the whole topic of honor and submission, headship? Be of one mind. It's a unity. Husbands and wives especially. You're said to be one flesh. Please be one mind. Right? Having compassion. One of another. Love his brethren. Be friends. Be pitiful. Show kindness. Be courteous. Be polite. Have manners. Not rendering evil for evil. When you're done wrong, you don't do wrong back. Or railing for railing. When someone yells at you, you don't yell back. But counterize Blessing. This is some rich marriage counseling. Anybody wants to come to you for marriage counseling, start right here in 1 Peter. Knowing that you are there and too cold, that you should inherit a blessing. We talked about that back in chapter 1, and we'll come back to it. For he that will love life and see good days. Do you love life? Do you want to see good days? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. Push it away, run from it, have nothing to do with it. This this is what all of this is built on. And do good. So you're pushing away, you're running away from evil while you're doing good. Oftentimes, the reason why we get caught up in evil is because we're not actually doing good. Let him seek peace. Wow. Wow. That's a goal. That's a marriage issue. Seek peace and ensue it. Pursue it with passion. And now verse 12 brings the whole cap to it all. Husbands, wives, whether believing or unbelieving, know this, know this, know this. Do not miss this truth. You may have problems and issues in your home that you think no one sees. Know this truth, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Here you have it summarized. Submission is not some excuse for abuse. It is rather an order, a simple order that really relies upon husbands that dwell with their wives according to knowledge and giving honor and together both of them having a fear of God and as believers being heirs together of the grace of life. God will hear you when you cry to him as righteous. And God will turn his face against you, those that do evil. And so in all of this, one of the themes of 1 Peter is suffering. And it's when I say what I'm about to say, it does not excuse it. Those who suffer under an, abu- in a, an abusive relationship in one way or another is not in any way condoned here. In fact, it's condemned. Mm-hmm. But if one finds himself suffering, you can ask this question in verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness, say, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that seeketh asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness, gentle strength, and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil doing let's do right, let's fear God, let's apply this in our marriages. And just one further note of something to make clear. Submission does not mean hiding evil. When there is evil, the best way to honor your husband is to surrender it to the proper authorities. If there is evil, you surrender it to the proper authorities. Remember a few weeks ago, some asked the question, how by disobeying the king can you honor him? Remember that question? The same is true with husbands. There are times when by disobeying your husband in the fear of God, in the big picture of things, you're actually honoring him fear God do what is right do what's right do what's right and husbands oh some of us need ourselves knocked up the side of the head dwell with our wives according to knowledge let's give them the honor we are heirs together of the grace of life let's live like it being all of one mind let's apply these truths in our family, in our homes. They're explicitly given to us in verses 8 through 12. Let's live it. Let's not just read it. Great God, we thank you for your word. I pray that your spirit would move amongst us this morning and convict. That we would be reminded of your ways and that we would apply it in our lives. We need your help. It's not just a checklist or a list of rules. Lord Jesus, we need your dear spirit to fill us. For without you, we can do nothing. So Lord Jesus, may your life be lived in us and through us. For really, truly, you are our hope and you are our life. May we live connected, abiding, dwelling in you and you in us. As we love our wives, as wives submit to their husbands, love their husbands, as we follow the admonitions given here, very practical. Thank you for that, Father. Help us in your spirit to obey. We submit to you, for we fear you as our God and also our refuge our present help in time of need, our fortress. We thank you and praise you this morning in Christ's name. Amen.